Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mystic Show. I always want to say good morning, but again, some people are listening at night. Uh, this show goes out to the entire planet Earth. There's people in on every continent, probably, hearing my voice right now. So I welcome you to the Mystic Show. This is the show where we talk about spirituality, meditation, mindfulness, and really, all the things that are unseen and otherworldly. All the things that mean so much to us, but we, we cannot see them with our eyes. Maybe. Maybe some people can see things with their eyes, like auras and stuff like that. Those are definitely uh, topics we can talk about. So our website is themysticshow.net. And we broadcast on the Fractal Stream. That's where you're hearing us right now, if you're live. We're also going to podcast the show, so you'll be able to hear all the archived episodes. And we can take questions and phone calls. We'd like to hear from you. We're going to discuss very, you know, interesting and riveting topics. And we want, I want to talk to you about it. So call me up. The number to the studio right here is 973 Four nine eight eighty thirty three nine seven three four nine eight eight zero three three and again the mystic show dot net and I had an interesting uh dream this morning um i I don't know when the dream was you know sometimes you have dreams in the middle of the night sometimes you have dreams like right before you wake up you have a dream. So the dream may, in the dream, it may feel like a half an hour, but I've heard this. Maybe we can get a a dream expert on the show. But even if you feel like the dream is a half hour, in reality, it only took about 30 seconds or a minute or less. I don't, I don't know. So I think my dream this morning was right before I woke up. And I don't know, I was in South America, and there were all these pyramids, and um, but they were more like piles of rocks. They weren't like the, the, the Mesoamerican pyramids uh, that, that we see in books and we read about, like with the, uh, the Mayans and the Incas, but they were more like piles of rocks, and there was one, and then there was another one behind it even bigger, and then, then there was another one behind it even bigger, and it just seemed they kept getting bigger as they got further away. They got, you know, and the ones in the distance were monstrous. And it, it reminded me of a fractal, the way it was repeating and it was self-similar. And anyway, that was interesting. But then there was this like hill that turned and at the top it kept getting steeper and steeper and steeper. And I started running up this, running toward this hill and I think I was screaming like, rah, and I was running toward the hill and then it got steeper and I kept running and then it got steeper and I was, I was running, trying to keep running. And then I was, when it was really steep, I was like clawing my way up and then it got to be completely vertical and there was no way I could climb up. So I started falling back down and I turned around and, you know, in the real world, you would fall and tumble and 
pretty much die because you'd hit your head on rocks and the earth. Uh, but I didn't die. I just kind of came down. I don't know how I came down. I just sort of slid down. It was very, I don't know. It was like, uh, it was like, well, it was a dream. So, and then as I was coming down, uh, as I was, as, as it leveled out down below, I saw other people or one or two other people running past me to run up the same hill. I don't know. I thought, I thought that might be an analogy for, um, our spiritual pursuit. You know, we're trying to climb up this spiritual mountain. And I think the more we climb, the steeper it gets and the the more difficult it gets to climb and, and maybe the the easier it is to fall. And I think that's why it's been said in uh, many traditions that the what the closer you get to the spiritual goal, that's when you need the help of the guru or the guide to help you. So apparently you can get so far on your own effort, but at the higher levels there you, there you basically cannot do it yourself and that's why that's when you need help from a a master of caliber as they say so that was my dream i thought that was kind of interesting so we're going to continue reading from our james allen book i'm going to we're going to get to the next chapter again james allen was a famous well i don't know how famous he was actually, but he was a mystic in England uh, about a hundred years ago. I think he was born in about 1860-something or 1870-something, and he passed away around 1915, and he wrote a bunch of great books, and the one we're reading from is called Byways of Blessedness by James Allen, and we read the first chapter called Right Beginnings, which is, you know, if you've been listening that's a great chapter. This second chapter is called Small Tasks and Duties. And you might be asking, well, what does this have to do with the mystic show? Or, you know, what does a mystic care about doing small tasks and duties? Isn't, isn't a mystic worried about, you know, energy and the universe and all this, you know, higher, whatever, abstract kind of things? Well, turns out, as we'll find out, that small tasks and duties are a great opportunity to practice mindfulness and also create right beginnings like we learned yesterday. I About 10 years ago, I, um, I overdosed on uh, Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I listened, I just... I've never met Tony Robbins, but I've always loved his books and tapes. And he mentioned that in this one form of martial arts, um, there's different kinds of martial arts, and I can't remember which one. Maybe it's Aikido or one of those. He, ba- he's, I think he studied with a, a sensei, and basically he said that there's seven fundamental moves. You know, seven fundamental mo- ways you move your body. And all the possible um, combinations of attacking and defense and all everything you can do in, in that uh, particular martial art are all built from those seven fundamental moves. So what the sensei does or the, the master does is 
just practices those seven fundamental moves. And when you perfect those seven fundamental moves, you're able to really perfect all the other moves because they're just a combination of those. So again, this this chapter here is called Small Tasks and Duties, and it reminded me of that what Tony Robbins said on one of his tapes. So here we go. This is um, from the book Byways of Blessedness by James Allen, and it's chapter two, Small Tasks and Duties. As pain and bliss inevitably follow on wrong and right beginnings, so unhappiness and blessedness are inseparably bound up with small tasks and duties. Not that a duty has any power of itself to bestow happiness or the reverse. This is contained in the attitude of mind which is assumed toward the duty. And everything depends upon the way in which it is approached and done. Not only great happiness, but great power arises from doing little things unselfishly, wisely, and perfectly. For life in its totality is made up of little things. Wisdom inheres in the common details of everyday existence, and when the parts are made perfect, the whole will be without blemish. Everything in the universe is made up of little things, and the perfection of the great is based upon the perfection of the small. If any detail of the universe were imperfect, the whole would be imperfect. If any particle were omitted, the aggregate would cease to be. Without a grain of dust, there could be no world. And the world is perfect because the grain of dust is perfect. Neglect of the small is confusion of the great. The snowflake is as perfect as the star. The dewdrop is as symmetrical as the planet. The microbe is not less mathematically proportioned than the man. By laying stone upon stone, plumbing and fitting each with perfect adjustment, the temple at last stands forth in all its architectural beauty. The small precedes the great. The small is not merely the apologetic attendant of the great, it is its master and informing genius. Vain men are ambitious to be great, and look about to do some great thing, ignoring and despising the little tasks which call for immediate attention, and in the doing of which there is no vainglory regarding such trivialities as beneath the notice of great men. The fool lacks knowledge because he lacks humility, and, inflated with the thought of self-importance, he aims at impossible things. The great man has become such by the scrupulous and unselfish attention which he has given to small duties. He has become wise and powerful by sacrificing ambition and pride in the doing of those necessary things which evoke no applause and promise no reward. He never sought greatness. He sought faithfulness, unselfishness, integrity, 
truth. And in finding these in the common round of small tasks and duties, he unconsciously ascended to the level of greatness. The great man knows the vast value that inheres in moments, words, greetings, meals, apparel, correspondence, rest, work, detached efforts, fleeting obligations, in the thousand and one little things which press upon him for attention, briefly in the common details of life. He sees everything as divinely apportioned, needing only the application of dispassionate thought and action on his part to render life blessed and perfect. He neglects nothing, does not hurry, seeks to escape nothing but error and folly, attends to every duty as it is presented to him, and does not postpone and regret. By giving himself unreservedly to his nearest duty, forgetting alike pleasure and pain, he attains to that combined childlike simplicity and unconscious power which is greatness. The Advice of Confucius to His Disciples Eat at your own table as you would at the table of a king emphasizes the immeasurable importance of little things as also does that aphorism of another great teacher, Buddha. If anything is to be done, let a man do it. Let him attack it vigorously. To neglect small tasks or to execute them in a perfunctory or slovenly manner is a mark of weakness and folly. The giving of one's entire and unselfish attention to every duty in its proper place evolves, by a natural growth, higher and ever higher combinations of duties, because it evolves power and develops talent, genius, goodness, character. A man ascends into greatness as naturally and unconsciously as the plant evolves a flower, and in the same manner, by fitting with unabated energy and diligence every effort and detail in its proper place, thus harmonizing his life and character without friction or waste of power. Of the almost innumerable recipes for the development of willpower and concentration, which are now scattered abroad, one looks almost in vain for any wholesome hint applicable to vital experience. Breathings, postures, visualizing, occult methods are practiced as delusive as they are artificial and remote from all that is real and essential in life. While the true path the path of duty, of earnest and undivided application to one's daily task, along which alone willpower and concentration of thought can be wholesomely and normally developed, remains unknown, untrodden, unexplored even by the elect. All unnatural forcing and straining in order to gain power should be abandoned. There is no way from childhood to manhood but by growth. 
nor is there any other way from folly to wisdom, from ignorance to knowledge, from weakness to strength. A man must learn how to grow little by little and day after day by adding thought to thought, effort to effort, deed to deed. It is true the fakir gains some sort of power by his long persistence in postures and mortifications, but it is a power which is bought at a heavy price, and that price is an equal loss of strength in another direction. He is never a strong, useful character, but a mere fantastic specialist in some psychological trick. He is not a developed man. He is a maimed man. True willpower consists in overcoming the irritabilities, follies, rash impulses, and moral lapses which accompany the daily life of an individual, and which are apt to manifest themselves on every slight provocation. And in developing calmness, self-possession, and dispassionate action in the press and heat of worldly duties, and in the midst of the passionate and unbalanced throng. Anything short of this is not true power, and this can only be developed along the normal pathway of steady growth in executing ever more and more masterfully, unselfishly, and perfectly the daily round of legitimate tasks and pressing obligations. The master is not he whose psychological accomplishments, rounded by mystery and wonder, leave him in unguarded moments the prey of irritability, of regret, of peevishness, or other petty folly or vice. But he whose mastery is manifested in fortitude, non-resentment, steadfastness, calmness, and infinite patience. The true master is master of himself. Anything other than this is not mastery, but delusion. The man who sets his whole mind on the doing of each task as it is presented, who puts into it energy and intelligence, shutting all else out from his mind, and striving to do that one thing, no matter how small, completely and perfectly, detaching himself from all reward in his task. That man will every day be acquiring greater command over his mind and will, by ever ascending degrees, becoming at last a man of power, a master. Put yourself unreservedly into your present task and so work, so act, so live that you shall leave each task a finished piece of labor. This is the true way to the acquisition of willpower, concentration of thought, and conservation of energy. Look not about for magical formulas, for strained and artificial methods. Every resource is already with you and within you. You have but to learn how wisely to apply yourself in that place which you now occupy. Until this is done, those other and higher places which are waiting for you cannot be taken possession of, cannot be reached. 
and we will stop there for today. So, wow, small tasks and duties. It's, uh, I, I can only say wow, and I'm going to have to, um, I think, just play a short song just to take us a little break. We can just maybe ruminate over that for a couple minutes. Okay, thank you to uh, Anya for this beautiful song. It's called To Go Beyond, part one. Actually, it's almost over. It's only like a minute, a minute and 20. Um, so now I'm sure if, if you were able to listen to what I read from James Allen, you definitely understand the relevance it has on this show. I like um, the one the I think the line that sort of sums it up, uh, especially with regards to having a spiritual guide or a master. This whole conversation um, that we had yesterday about spirituality and and having a spiritual guide. Um, this is the this is the one line from what I just read that is so true. The true master is master of himself. Anything other than this is not mastery, but delusion. So that's another way to think of having a spiritual guide or a spiritual master, is that it's not like a master and slave relationship. You're not a slave because you have a spiritual master. That's that's completely wrong. All you're doing is learning from someone who has mastered himself so you can master yourself (laughs) he's just helping you master yourself okay so i want to talk just bring up briefly this book uh the power of now by eckhart tolle i hope you've heard of that book i hope you've read that book (laughs) it's um i don't think i have that in my stack of books here I, i can't look the stack is over there um, but The Power of Now is a wonderful book, and it's a funny story how I got that book. Um, I was in India. It was my first trip to India in 2004. It was August. And yeah, so August in India is pretty hot, and you'd think it might be the the hottest season in uh, India, but really... I think India is the most hot uh, at the end of April and May. So August is hot, but it's not, usually it's not brutal. But it was very hot, especially on my first trip there in 2004. 
And I was there to learn meditation, to stay in the ashram and spend time with my spiritual guide. It was my first time to India, and I had to deal with all the things that India has to offer, like the mosquitoes and the heat and the different style bathrooms and the food and everything. I mean, you can ha- it, it's handleable, it's manageable. It's different, but it's manageable. And near the end of my trip, I think it was about a two-week trip, someone... Another person who's practicing uh, meditation with me said, oh, there's a book called The Power of Now. And I said, oh, really? That's interesting. And and they told me basically what it was about, about learning how to live from the present moment. And we're going to talk about a little bit more about that in a minute. And I said, oh, that's interesting. The Power of Now. Hmm. I'll have to get that one. So the next day was my last day in India. And the next, so then we went to this, they call it a bazaar, I think. Um, it's basically like a flea market on the street. And I I don't even know if I was shopping really. I'm not a big shopper, but, um, you know, maybe get some mementos for the family and friends, whatever. So I was walking down the street and, and I saw this, this little stall on the street of this this guy selling books and it was a little table and there was probably no more than I'm not even kidding 50 books maybe you know which is a very small number for someone who's selling books you know usually you need to have quite a selection right so I looked at this little table and I said and then I thought oh maybe I can get the power of now and then immediately I thought you know there's no way that this guy has the power of now First of all, it's a personal development book, although it is, it, it is a spiritual type book as well. So, um, But still, it's not a mainstream book. And I said, there's no way this, this book is going to be there. I mean, 50 books. And one of them is going to be the one I want. I walk up to the table, standing up on the, <laughs> on the one shelf, guess what book there, there was? <laughs> the power of now. And it was a used copy, but it was in good shape. And I, I I, was just amazed. And I bought this book. And I actually read most of it on the plane ride home. And like I mentioned, it's really... It, there's so many wonderful comps, concepts in the book. But it's all based around this idea of living in the present moment. That most times... Most human beings are either thinking about the past or the future, and they're not in the present moment. And a funny thing happens when you when you spend a lot of time thinking about the past and the future, is you start to have desires about what you want the future to be, and that's all based on what your past was and you're also worried about the future. Will I achieve this? Will I achieve that? Sometimes you can be ashamed of your past, feel bad about it, you know, feel like the past is some sort of a, a weight on your shoulders. So a lot of 
negativity can come on just by thinking about the past and the future. And the main point of the book, and again, there's a lot of great points in the book. I don't want to make make uh, Eckhart Tolle's message too simple. But the whole idea is if you exist in the present moment and you're fully present, there's no past and there's no future and everything is okay. There can be no problem in the present moment because the present moment is always perfect. The only problem comes when you start referencing the future to the past and what you want to do and what he what he should have done, what she should have done. She shouldn't have said that and he, right? So that's a way to practice mindfulness. There's also other elements in the book like I said about um the pain body, how we basically carry pain with us. And again, it can be released. A lot of good concepts. In fact, We'll probably, in fact, I just, I, I attended a meetup recently here in New Jersey with a guy um, named Leo who has a meetup group based around Eckhart Tolle's teachings. And I really want to, uh, hopefully, he'll be gracious enough to come on the Mystic Show and we can we can talk to him. So just a reminder, you're listening to the Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net. There's all kinds of good information there, including our phone number. You can call us. You can call me. (laughs) There's really no us at this point. It's just me. And our number, my number here is 973-498-8033. 973-498-8033. And that number is also on the the webpage. Uh, themysticshow.net. And I just briefly want to tell you about uh, Pause Your Life. So when we when I just spoke about The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and being in the present moment, in modern life, it's hard to do that because we have so many things pulling at us in so many different directions. We're, we're, uh, we're inundated with Things we have to do, things we should do, things we didn't do. <laughs> we're always doing this. We got to go there. We got to do this. Um, yeah, we're always putting out fires. And yeah, we don't, most of us don't take a lot of time to relax. So this organization, Pause Your Life, has meetups and retreats to help people relax and be in the present moment. The whole idea is that life is so crazy that sometimes, did you ever feel like you just wanted to hit the pause button on your life and just, you know, just spend some time just breathing, just sitting there with no work, with not a care in the world? You know, I mean, did you ever, remember when we were, you were a kid and you would wake up and let's say in the summertime and you just had nothing to do and every day was just a new day and it was, it was great. Well, some I, I've met a lot of people who say, you know what, I really wish I could just take a vacation. But the funny thing is, when people take vacations, they've packed their vacation with so many things, with so many activities and so much, so many family members and so many responsibilities that, I mean, a vacation is can definitely be a lot of fun, and, and that's important. That's very important to have fun, but it's not a 
pause. It's not a true pause. It's not a a meditative retreat like pause in your life. And um, so pauseyourlife.org is the website, pauseyourlife.org. And there's also a daily pause email you can get, which it, you'll, you'll get emailed a quote every morning, you know, something to ponder, something to pause and think about. Um, so check it out, pauseyourlife.org. And, and um, I definitely wanted to just mention that because uh, my wife is hard at work on preparing a lot of great things to, uh, to help people pause their life. And if you've ever taken a retreat or done, you know, taken some time off and unplugged for real, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And for those of you who've never done that, I there's probably going to come a time in your life when you say, look, I got I to gotta just stop. I got to do something. I got to really relax and just, you know, take a weekend and go away, unplug, turn the phone off. I mean... I don't know. I everyone can do it even if you're thinking, "Oh, I could never do that." Well, you can, actually. <laughs> um there's a way to do everything and it's funny, once you sort of make up your mind to do something, once you make a decision and it's a fr- it's the decision is coming from a place deep in your heart, the universe will actually bend and mold around your decision. It'll help you achieve what you wanted to achieve. So that's pauseyourlife.org. Now, I mentioned yesterday about um, Swami Vivekananda. And by the way, I don't know if you heard yesterday's show. It it will be podcasted as well. I don't know if I was a little too controversial when I was talking about religion and spirituality. And um, I'm obviously I'm not trying to be con con uh, sorry controversial. Um, I'm just engaging listeners and you in a conversation that needs to be had. It's a good conversation. It's a meaningful conversation. We can each learn a lot about ourselves by having the conversations. That's that's why we're having the conversation. That's why this show exists. Themysticshow.net And uh, yeah, I plan on recording some commercials and other bumpers and things. So I mentioned Swami Vivekananda, and he's one of the spiritual giants from India. Um, he was active in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and he's gave a lot of speeches, and um, he's written many books, and his message is just wonderful. If I mean, if you really want to... <laughs> getting involved in the the religion and spirituality conversation you know read some of uh, swami vivekananda anyway he i i mentioned that he gave a presentation in chicago in the late 1800s so i actually did a little research with the help of some of our listeners see it's very cool when a listener will hear me mention some things do a little research for me and send me an email with the information. So that's good. Now I can clarify. So Swami Vivekananda, he actually spoke here in the United States at the World Congress of Religions, 
the World Congress of Religions. Do we still have that? <laughs> I don't think there's any anything like that. I've never heard of anything like that. Anyway, guess the date that he spoke. Well, you're not going to really guess, but September 11th, 1893. September 11th, 1893. And guess what today is? September 11th. It happens to be 2013. Um, but I thought it was interesting, September 11th. And so what they had was a, the World Congress of Religions. They had all these different people from different religions come and speak and share and connect and all that. Um, and it's interesting that he got a standing ovation. See, here, here's what happened. I'm going to read this off the web. This is from uh, Swamij.com. Uh, Swami Vivekananda's standing ovation. Swami Vivekananda's opening talk is a benchmark in that he was one of the earlier teachers to come to America from the East and the first Swami to visit America. Most notably, this was his first talk in America. After the welcome address and opening of the World Parliament of Religions, Swami Vivekananda spoke and started with these few words. Sisters and brothers of America. The 7,000 people in the audience, immediately feeling the depth of his sincerity, rose to their feet and, according to reports, went into inexplicable rapture with standing ovation and clapping that lasted for more than three minutes. He went on, It fills my heart with joy unspeakable to rise in response to the warm and cordial welcome which you have given us. So, it's amazing. Just think of the spiritual condition of a person that can get up in front of a crowd and say the words, sisters and brothers of America, and have the whole crowd go into an inexplicable rapture with a standing ovation for more than three minutes. Right? Think of the the depth and the power in 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 his voice at that moment. And the, the power of his voice comes from the power of his thoughts and the power of his vibration, the spiritual condition he's in. We, we discussed that yesterday. So that's, uh, that's an amazing story. You can look it up on the internet. Um, I'll probably, I'll put the link in with the podcast. Um, by the way, when I podcast these shows, I will put, you know, some notes and some links of the stuff that that I talk about. The whole talk is here. Um, I don't know if this is the whole talk. You know what? I'm going to read this right here. This is a good, a few paragraphs of the talk. So um, I'm going to read this. Again, off of uh, swamij.com. So this is Swami Vivekananda's message on September 11th, 1893 at the World Congress of Religions. Sisters and brothers of America, it fills my heart with joy unspeakable to rise in response to the warm and cordial welcome which you have given us. I thank you in the name of the most ancient order of monks in the world. I thank you in the name of the mother of religions. And I thank you in the name of millions and millions of Hindu people of all classes and sects. My thanks also to some of the speakers on this platform who, referring to the delegates, delegates of, from the Orient, 
have told you that these men from far-off nations may well claim the honor of bearing to different lands the idea of toleration. I am proud to belong to a religion which has taught the world both tolerance and universal acceptance. We believe not only in universal toleration, but we accept all religions as true. I am proud to belong to a nation which has sheltered the persecuted and the refugees of all religions and all nations of the earth. I am proud to tell you that we have gathered in our bosom the purest remnant of the Israelites who came to southern India and took refuge with us in very year in which their holy temple was shattered to pieces by Roman tyranny. I am proud to belong to the religion which has sheltered and is still fostering the remnant of the grand Zoroastrian nation. I will quote to you, brethren, a few lines from a hymn which I remember to have repeated from my earliest childhood, which is every day repeated by millions of human beings. As the different streams, having their sources in different places, all mingle their water in the sea, O Lord, the different paths which men take through different tendencies, various though they appear, crooked or straight, all lead to Thee. The present convention, which is one of the most august assemblies ever held, is in itself a vindication, a declaration to the world of the wonderful doctrine preached in the Gita, Whosoever comes to me, though whatsoever form, I reach him. All men are struggling through paths which in the end lead to me. Sectarianism, bigotry, and its horrible descendant, fanaticism, have long possessed this beautiful earth. They have filled the earth with violence, drenched it often and often with human blood, destroyed civilization, and sent whole nations to despair. Had it not been for these horrible demons, human society would be far more advanced than it is now. But their time is come, and I fervently hope that the bell that told this morning in honor of this convention may be the death knell of all fanaticism, of all persecutions with the sword or with the pen, and of all the uncharitable feelings between persons wending their way to the same goal. So that's a little bit uh, from Swami Vivekananda's message on September 11th, 1893. Um, yeah, I think we can just, I'll just take a short break while we ponder what he said there. Hmm.
All right, if you can guess what song that is, we'll have to give you some prize. <laughs> right, who says you can't play Black Sabbath after reading a Swami Vivekananda speech? I mean, really. <laughs> this is internet radio, right? Anyhow, this is The Mystic Show, themysticshow.net. You can call us here at 973-498-8033. If you're listening and it's at all interesting (laughs) or you just want to say hello, please do. Okay, there's a book here called 365 Tao and uh, Daily Meditations by Deng Ming Tao. 365 Tao. This is a book I discovered in when I lived in New York City. So one thing to know about me is that I spent uh, about four years living in New York City in my early 20s, and that's where I learned uh, recording engineering and music production. I worked on several albums, music albums, and I have some album credits, and it was a fun time. It was a time of a lot of learning. There was also, you know my fair share of debauchery. Uh, You know, I guess when you're early 20s living in New York City, working in recording studios, working literally probably 60 or 70 hours was a light week. I I actually specifically remember that uh, my, the most hours I worked in one week was 117. (laughs) So yeah, do, do the math with that. And um, yeah, it's like, I don't even know what that is. 16 hours a day for seven days a week or something. Um, yeah, more Actually, more than that. More than 16 hours a day for seven days a week. Anyway, I was young. I could handle it. And anyhow, I lived with a few friends at one point, uh, fellow engineers and a couple friends. And uh, well, we had a band and all that too. But um, one of my roommates, his name is Matt Tuffley. Matt, if you ever hear this, I hope you're doing well. Um, Yeah, so he had a book. He had this book called 365 Dow. And I kind of picked it up and I was looking through it. And I started reading it. And it's it's like a a one-page entry for each day of the year. So you can actually look up the day of the year, whatever day you want to look up. And there's a little entry. You know, there's a there's a title and there's like a little poem and then there's like a, a you know let's say three four paragraphs short paragraphs it's one short page for each day and it's all about Taoism and um, you know this whole it, it, and Taoism I I'm not prepared to explain Taoism right now but it's it's um, it's an Eastern philosophy um, it, it I don't think it's a religion maybe it is. Um, if you know anything about Taoism, give us a call. Anyway, I like these passages. It really just makes you think, and it's very simple, and it's very natural. It always, I think Taoism always goes back to nature, which is, which is great. Um, in fact, one of the maxims of the meditation practice that I do is, it says, be simple and in tune with nature. So... There's nature's doing something right. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so today 
being September 11th, we're going to talk about, well, I'm going to read the, uh, the entry from this book for today. So this is September 11th, and the word is conundrum. Okay, the word is conundrum, and the little poem section here is very short. It says, which came first, experience or meaning? So that's really deep. Which came first, experience or meaning? Okay, now I'll read the paragraphs. When we were children, a favorite riddle used to be, which came first, the chicken or the egg? This conundrum was so sticky that it stayed with us even into adulthood and became a cliché indicating any difficult situation of logic. Maybe meaning in life is somewhat arbitrary. People go to work, and their work becomes part of the meaning to their lives. People marry and have a family and declare that these are the most important things to them. If they had taken different jobs, or if they had married a different person, or if they had renounced the world and had become nuns and monks, wouldn't their lives have had different meanings? And then we have the people for whom life dictated so many of their meanings. A person with physical deformities will have a much different life than one born healthy. Someone born into a wealthy, aristocratic family will obviously have a much different outlook than a beggar's child. Someone born in Asia will look at life differently than someone born in Europe. So which comes first, those who say that meaning comes from our definitions, or those who declare that our circumstances determine our meaning? So that's, that's pretty deep. That's always the question, you know, it's a very mystical question and topic is, you know, destiny and are things predestined? In fact, I just spoke to someone, uh, her name's Allison DeMarco. She's going to be on our, on this show very soon. And she said she absolutely does not believe in coincidence at all. And I mean, I, I guess I do believe in coincidence or I guess I should say I believe that coincidences happen for a reason. Anyway, that's going to be, <laughs> I'd like to know what you think about that. Um, so she's going to be on the show. We can talk about that. And, and we can also talk about, well, we'll talk to her when she's here. I'll let her speak for herself. <laughs> but she's excited to, to come on the show for sure. So our circumstances, did, did you know, some people think that before we were born, we were up in heaven or somewhere, and we chose our parents, we chose our family, we chose a husband or a wife. You know, like we laid out this big blueprint of a plan, and then we come down on earth and we're just acting out that plan. Um, and I don't know, well, free will becomes a question. Do we have free will? What do you think? 
I mean, I from when I was very, very young, and I don't I don't know why I thought this, but I, I thought one of the most interesting things about life was that you I can do like I could pick up this pen and throw it across the room if I wanted to. Or I could, you know, arrange all the chairs in a circle if I wanted to. So there's some some sort of power or free will that I have that I can use. I, and I don't know, as a kid, I, was, I thought that was very interesting. I mean, that means a lot, right? That's kind of important. Anyhow, I think for the folks who believe that everything is predestined, um, so did I pre did I choose before I was born that on uh, September eleventh, twenty thirteen, I was going to arrange all the chairs in a circle? Did I choose that, liter- you know, specifically <laughs> before I was born? Did I specifically choose that I was going to take a pen and throw it across the room at um, seven fifty three a.m. on on September eleventh, twenty thirteen? Um, I don't know. I suspect not. I think the any, if there's anything that predestines us to anything, it's probably much more general than that. In fact, one one of my thoughts and ideas is that for the small things like throwing the pen across the room or arranging the chairs in a circle, for those small things, I have free will. I have complete control. I can do it or not do it. You know, so for the small things, I have complete control. But for the bigger things, like, you know, being, let's say, being a wealthy person, which so far I am not. (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, that's all relative, isn't it? I think compared to some people in the world, I would be extremely wealthy. So I shouldn't say that, right? Hmm. But with regards to my level of wealth, let's say, uh, maybe it is, there is some pre predestiny going on here. Maybe, maybe, yeah, in this life I'm supposed to be middle class or me- middle of the road with regards to wealth. And this goes to, you know, the whole idea of karma, right? So maybe, it, well, this, okay, karma, reincarnation, and um, past lives, right? So some people believe that if I was really good in my past life, you know, I was if I was virtuous in my past life, that I'll be that in this life I'll have a better life. Um or if I was, you know, a murderer in my past life, this life is going to be very difficult. Or maybe if I if I was if I was very wealthy in my past life, maybe I'm more apt to be wealthy in this life. So that people normally refer to that as karma. Um, I can just say that in the philosophy of the meditation practice that I do, um, there's something called samskaras, and those are basically like the seeds of future action and thought. So it's similar to what people think of karma. You know, like if you do something bad. Your karma, it will come back to you. Something bad will happen to you. So the whole idea of samskaras is a little bit 
little bit simpler. Uh, it basically just the idea that whatever you do and think will leave an impression on you, and you have to undergo the fruits of that. Whatever you've done, you have to undergo the fruit of it. Like I said, if you drink a lot of alcohol and you wake up the next morning with a hangover, who gave you the hangover? Did God give you the hangover? <laughs> so anyway, that's just a, a quick example of, of samskara. Um, we're, we could talk for a whole show about that, about reincarnation. I mean, that's a whole topic in itself. A lot of topics. And um, I'm also, just to FYI, I'm working on getting a few great guests to call into the show. And uh, once once that happens, we're going to be telling a lot of fun stories and, and continuing this conversation of mystical topics. Um, so I think this was a great show today. Uh, this will be just just so you know that the Mystic Show is live every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's also replayed on the Fractal Stream at 8 p.m. Eastern and also 1 a.m. Eastern. So all this information is on the webpage. So you can, you know, if you if you somehow can't catch the show live, like, again, people in Hawaii who right now it's 2 in the morning, you know, they can listen to the replay or catch it on the podcast. So if you check out themysticshow.net, You'll see all that information and send us, you know, send us a note. Send, t- let me know what you think. I'm talking to you, Mr. Listener or Mrs. Miss Listener. I know who's, in fact, right now, I, I think I have so few listeners that I know who's listening. <laughs> so I know you're listening. So send me a little note, send me an email or um, it'd be, be great if you would call too. Anyhow, thank you for listening this morning. This is The Mystic Show, themysticshow.net. And um, thanks to our sponsor, Pause Your Life, pauseyourlife.org. And we'll be here tomorrow morning. We have a lot of different questions to answer. Got some good Q&A for tomorrow. so. So I hope you move through your day with purpose and calmness and serenity and the confidence that comes with serenity and calmness. So keep keep spreading the love. Stay in a good vibration and keep shining.